I know John just went into the back and he won't hear this, but I need to begin this morning by saying thank you to John Song and to the youth who worked here diligently Friday evening to clean out the attic and that almost 90-year-old building, as well as uh, the children's area in the building downstairs. They, they moved out a, a lot of junk, and so I say thank you. But having said that, I think the youth should really be thanking me because you have no idea what you would have been required to move if I had left John to his own devices. But instead, John invited me to go to the attic to look around and help him decide what should stay and what should go. Now, my wife will tell you, I'm the last person in the world that should be asked that question. Because I believe that everything should stay. So John would point, and I would say, keep it. That old door? Well, yes, because it was original to this building, and we might want to restore it and put it back in its original place. The, those banisters? Well, yes, they, they're original to this building. They were between the pillars on the third floor, and someday we might want to restore them, put them back in their original place. But in my defense, I gave the okay to toss out the broken 1970s sanctuary sound equipment. <laughs> that, I pray, will never be restored. But I don't believe that I'm alone in this desire to restore. We live in a city that thrives on restoration. You and I fix things, and what do we say? Look, it's as good as new. Something about the original, something about what was, something about what's supposed to be draws us. And I believe that uh, that desire is given to us by God. I believe that within the human heart, your heart and mine is a longing for something that was lost, for something that we want to be restored. And that's what we're going to talk about as we continue our Advent series, He Is as we consider who is this one who was born of a virgin in a stable, laid in a manger, who is he? We, we will find with great hope that he came to restore. He is the restorer of what was lost. So you and I must have hope. We must have hope that he can restore us, hope that he can restore others. So having said that, I'm going to invite you now to take out your Bibles and turn with me once again to the letter written to the Colossians, chapter 1. If you're using the Pew Bible in the rack in front of you, you'll find that on page 983, page 983 in the Pew Bible. But when you found Colossians chapter 1, I'm going to ask you to stand so that we might hear read together the word of the living God. This is the word of the Lord. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning 
the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Always we give you thanks for being a God who speaks to us, who loves us enough to let us know who you are, who we should be, who teaches us and transforms us through your word. We pray now that through the power of your spirit, uh, you would grant us that blessing of understanding, of change, of transformation more and more into the people that you've created us to be. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. In order for us to understand what Jesus came to restore, we first need to understand what it is that was lost. So look again with me, if you will, in verse 15. Last week, as we began this series and looked at this same verse, we saw that he is. Jesus is God. 100% divine. Possessing all the attributes of God, he is God. But this verse tells us so much more about who he is. He is also a man, perfectly bearing the image of God as a man. When the Apostle Paul writes here in this verse that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, his language takes us immediately and intentionally Back to Genesis, back to the Garden of Eden, back to the time of creation. In Genesis 1.27, we read, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. Man in his own image, in the image of God, he created them. The repetition is there so that we don't miss the point. Human beings were created in the image of God. And of all that God created, human beings alone have this distinct and unique privilege of being made in the image of God. We don't have time this morning to thoroughly think through all that it means to be created in the image of God any more than the 25 minutes we had last week was sufficient to talk about the reality that that Christ is. Is God. But to be in the image of God means at least this, and this least thing is actually the most thing that Adam and Eve were created to have closeness to and communion with God. That's what it means to be in the image of God, the capacity to be close to God, to be in communion with Him. God's creation of Adam and Eve was not. Mechanical, get her done, dispassionate. We read a few verses later in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. I know that I am probing 
Perhaps you could even call it transgressing here on a holy moment between Adam and his creator. Maybe it's a moment not meant for me, but I'm drawn to think about what happened in that moment. This verse seems to indicate a face-to-face moment between the Lord and Adam. Consider this in verse 16. In the passage before you, it tells us there that all things, all things were created through Christ and for Christ. And so I wonder, could this creation moment in the garden be one of the many Christophanies of the Old Testament? Those times where the pre-incarnate Christ appears on earth. After having shaped the clay that he had created into the form of a man as he imagined man should be, then he did he just simply lean over face to face and breathe his breath into the lifeless form. So that when the very first human opened his eyes for the very first time, On the newly created spectacular world, the very first vision to fill his eyes was the face of Christ. Would that not vividly picture for us that the very first breath of human life gave us the goal of human life to fix our eyes on Christ? Would it not communicate the priority? the closeness and the communion that we are to have with the Lord as those created in His image. And how important must this closeness and this communion with God be in the capacity to experience it if the very first act that God gave to Adam and Eve was to rest, to rest with Him, to rest in Him. Look, God's last act of creation was to create them. And as soon as he created them, God rested. The Sabbath rest. And he invited Adam and Eve into that rest with him. What must that first Sabbath rest have looked like? What must it have been like for them? On that day that scripture says God specially blessed and made holy. I don't know the answer to that question, but I I do know this. Adam and Eve were created for the the possibilities of it. For God, for what God would do in and with that day of rest, for the closeness and the communion they had with their Lord on that day. That's why we read in Isaiah 58, God says, If you call the Sabbath a delight and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it, not going your own ways or seeking your own pleasure, or talking idly, then you shall take delight in the Lord. And I will make you, listen to this, ride on the heights of the earth, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. (laughs) What promises to delight in the Lord? What does that look like? To ride on the heights of the earth. What does that look like? These are the possibilities to discover When one made in the image of God is close to and in communion with the Lord, especially on his holy day. 
being made in the image of God. There's so much more to it, but, but I'm going to sum it up with these words from the Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 4, part 2. We read there, After God had made all other creatures, He created man, male and female, with reasonable and immortal souls, endued with knowledge, righteousness, and true holiness, after His own image, having the law of God written in their hearts and power to fulfill it. These are the words that describe what it means to be created in the image of God. Reasonable, rational beings, righteous, holy. These are the marks of those created in the image of God. And this is what Adam and Eve had. Now we wish the story could end there. Haven't you always wished that all your life? That the story just ended there. But it did not. And we know what happened. Adam and Eve used that reason. They used that volition that had been given to them as a gift from God, as a mark of His image. They used it to disobey Him, to rebel against Him. They chose to do the very thing that He had commanded that they must not do. And in that dreadful moment of the very first sin, the wonder of the closeness and communion that they had known with God was lost. Righteousness was lost. Holiness was lost. All the good and the peace and the joy that come with righteousness and holiness lost. When they sinned, the image of God within them was marred, disfigured, shattered. One commentator referred to man after the fall as a grisly shadow of himself. A grisly shadow of himself. So many attempts have been made to describe or illustrate what this marred image looks like. The, the one I like is the one of a shattered, spider-webbed windshield. You've seen it. The windshield is in place, but it's so shattered you can no longer see through it, so it no longer serves his purpose, its purpose. The God image capacities with which God created Adam and Eve, they, they're still intact, but now they are just tainted by sin and used for sinful, self-centered purposes. Can Adam still love Eve? Can Eve still love Adam? Yes. But a love that's now tainted by sin, by selfishness and self-centeredness and self-seeking and self-serving, that now comes first. Do they still have the capacity to commune with God? Yes, but not in the free and open way they once had. Now it is in a hiding sort of way, in a cover-up sort of way, in a shameful sort of way. And of course, the end result of sin, the marring of the image of God and humans, you know, we, we devolve to the nadir about which we read, look in verse 21. It describes those created in God's image now as alienated and hostile to God. Ephesians 2.12 calls us separated, alienated, having no hope and without God in the world. But the good news is that there is hope. You ready for good news? 
Because the image of God in human beings was not completely destroyed. It was not obliterated. What was marred and disfigured and broken can be restored. And our hope for restoration lies in the one who lies in the manger. Because he is. He is the one who restores. Look in verses 19 and 20. Of Colossians 1. For in him, in Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Reconcile means to restore. That's what Christ does. And we see in Christ the image of God truly displayed. We see in the pages of Scripture, Jesus stealing away to be alone with God, his Father, to be close to him, to commune with him. That's the image of God in man, the way it's supposed to be. And as a result of that communion that Jesus had with his Father, we hear Jesus saying, For I have not spoken on my own authority. But the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment. What to say and what to speak. That's the image of God, the way it's supposed to be. Thinking God's thoughts after him, speaking the words given by God himself. As a result of the communion, his closeness with the Father, we see the hands of Jesus doing what they were intended to do. Jesus says, truly I say to you, The Son can do nothing of His own accord, but only what He sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. That's the image of God in man, the way it's supposed to do. Doing the things of our holy God. Romans chapter 5 and 1 Corinthians chapter 15 are way too lengthy for me to read. You can read them yourself, but because of these two passages, Jesus is referred to often as the last Adam or the second Adam. And these passages compare Jesus to Adam and they show that Jesus came to be man as man was supposed to be, a man who displayed the image of God truly and rightly. And they demonstrate that at every point where Adam failed, Christ succeeded. In the Garden of Eden, Adam succumbed to the temptation of the evil one. In the wilderness, Jesus did not. That's the image of God the way it's supposed to be. Scripture says that when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from Jesus until an opportune time. But guess what? That time never came because Jesus never failed. He never gave in to temptation. He drank the cup that in his humanity he prayed might pass from him. He went to the cross. He stayed on the cross. And verse 21 tells us that by the blood of the cross, we are reconciled. We are restored. Is that good news? So now you and I have hope. Hope in the ability to restore that image of God in us, to put us back together to make us who we were created to be, who we are supposed to be. Colossians 3, chapter 10 
says that we have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Our new self in Christ, in the image of our creator. Ephesians 2.24 says to put on the new self, which is created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. That's what God is doing in us. That's the restoration work that Christ is about. He is the one who restores us into the likeness of God, and so we have hope. You have hope for yourself. I hope you have hope for yourself. I pray that you do. Jesus is not finished with you. Even now, he is at work in you. And in me, restoring us, putting us back together the way we are supposed to be as ones created in his image. I love the language that Peter uses in Acts chapter 3 when he is preaching in the temple. He says, repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. And that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all. Times of refreshing. Does that sound good to you? Does it? Would you like to be re refreshed? The restoring of all things. Does that sound good to you? Does it? Have hope. Christ is the restorer of all things. And look, not only for you, but for other made in the image of God people as well. The one who came to bear the perfect image of God gave dignity to the image of God in others. The life of the woman that was caught in adultery was considered to have no worth, except that it could be easily and thoughtlessly sacrificed, her life, to accomplish the purposes of the religious leaders. But that adulteress was not worthless to Jesus. He saw her value. He saw her dignity as one made in the image of God, and so he said to her, I do not condemn you. Go now and sin no more. So here's a broken, marred, disfigured one, disfigured by sin, restored. Jesus allowed the sinners that the world marginalized and rejected and excluded. He allowed them to come near to him because he knew these ones were made in the image of God and they were worth restoring. And so from the lips of Jesus, these ones hear the story of the Son that through his own volition had needlessly become a starving beggar. And though he reeked of uh, the stench of mud and pig slop, he was received by his father and given a robe and a ring and a fatted calf. Here is one broken and marred and disfigured by sin, restored to a vile, despised, cheating, 
swindling sinner, Jesus said, I'm coming to your house today. And Jesus went. And then he said to this wicked one, Zacchaeus, today salvation has come to this house. Here is one broken, marred, disfigured by sin, restored. Too often and too easily I fail to remember the image of God in others. And I fail to have hope. And too easily I discount or dismiss or make assumptions about the quote-unquote restorability of others. Too often, instead of having hope for them, I have rage against them. And what is rage other than frustrated hopelessness? Since we know, we know that Jesus is the one who restores I should be, you should be, people who pray. I tell you this, studying the image of God this week, working through this passage, has diffused completely my need to go on a political and social tirade right now in this moment. Because you know the issues that face our culture. You see the evidence all around of how far our culture has fallen from the image of God. You know the individuals. You know the groups who protect, promote, propagate, proliferate, legislate, Things that grieve a holy, life-loving, life-creating, unity-establishing God. You know the great harm and the lasting damage that these things bring to those created in the image of God. But I remind myself that the promoters and the protectors and the proliferators and the legislators are also made in the image of God. And the good news is that Jesus can and Jesus does restore the image of God in us in unexpected ways and in unexpected people. And so I close with this. In the garden, the Lord breathed into Adam and he came alive in the image of God. On the evening of the day of his resurrection, Jesus found his disciples in the room where they were locked away in fear. And he came and he stood in their midst And he said, peace be with you. And then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Receive the the spirit of life. The spirit that can. The spirit that does restore the image 
of God in you. That's the picture I want to have in my mind as I walk through this world. The peace of Christ in me as I go. With this prayer on my lips, Lord Jesus, breathe. Breathe out on those around me. Restore your image in them. This is Advent. This is the season to celebrate hope. And you and I have hope because he is, Jesus is the one who restores. So have hope. Have hope for yourself. Have hope for our world. And because he is, don't give up on either one. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, how we give you thanks. That even in this moment, while we sit here in this place, gathered around your word, where your spirit is present and active among us, what are you doing, even in this very moment, but restoring us, little by little, into the image of God? So that the disfigurement, disgust, decreases so that more and more clearly the true image of God is revealed in us and through us. Continue your work of restoration in us, we pray. And cause us to be people, Lord, who pray for our world, for every person we encounter. Remind us that they too are created in your image. Remember Remind us as well, Lord, that as you rescued us, as you restored and transformed us, so you can do in their lives. Give us hope, a hope that causes us to be people who pray. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.